When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Well, Ben, we pulled it off over the weekend. We had our live watch party for the beloved patrons of the co-main event for the Jake Paul Anderson Silva boxing match pay-per-view over there on Showtime. This, I suppose, will be one of those rare episodes of the CME where a slightly different combat sport takes precedence over MMA, because I don't think that there's any doubt that the Jake Paul Anderson Silva boxing match was the combat sports event of the weekend, at least as it pertains to our bubble. And so we're going to spend some time talking about that today on the proper. We're also going to talk a little bit about what happened between Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen in the main event of the UFC fight night. Uh, and then maybe some other headline grabbing stuff as we get through this episode of the show this week. But I wanted to start here, and that is, and maybe this didn't even occur to me until after we had watched the pay-per-view. And maybe it didn't occur to me because this idea is so pervasive now in combat sports. But I sort of feel like we are living in a very, very strange time in the world of boxing and mixed martial arts. And uh, there may... There may not have ever been a fight in the history of the sport to point that out more obviously than the fight that opened up the Anderson Silva, Jake Paul pay-per-view featuring former UFC featherweight, I believe, Chris Avila fighting a sexy doctor. In a, uh, I mean, the sexiest doctor, according to People Magazine. Fighting a sexy doctor in a boxing match at 185 pounds. It seems insane to me that this is the business model now, but here we are where Chris Avila versus sexy Dr. Mike is not even really an oddity anymore on these kind of broadcasts. Why is that? It seems like we have arrived at a place culturally where boxing, a little light boxing, just a little bit of dabbling in combat sports, is one of the things you can do 
with your modicum of fame in order to monetize it. And it's, I guess it's weird that that's just sort of joined the the list of other things that you can do with your fame. But uh, in a way, I guess it makes sense because we have created for ourselves this sort of attention economy, right? Like via social media, the, the very concept of an influencer where the job description is basically, I'm somebody that people are watching. Just whatever I'm doing, people are paying attention to it. And therefore, if you have something that you are willing to pay me to direct their attention toward, I can do that. And that becomes kind of my entire job description. And one of those things apparently could be your boxing event. Want me to direct people's attention to your boxing event? Okay, I'll show up and box somebody at it. What's interesting, I guess, to me is that it's it's kind of just boxing that this is happening with. It's not happening in MMA, not really happening in you know kickboxing, not even happening yet, Chad, in slap fighting, the sport of the future. Though, who knows? We, we may be headed there eventually where we're going to watch a couple former child stars slap each other <laughs> uh, down there at the UFC Apex. But it is happening in boxing. And I wonder if it's because you have to learn maybe fewer skills to show up in boxing than you do to show up in MMA where somebody could just take you down and, you know, figure out that you don't know your way out of an arm bar. You just, you know, you have to learn a little bit of rudimentary boxing ability. People seem to like that anyway. People seem like drawn to that sort of like training uh, a lot of times. And that also because of the sports structure you don't have to get into some long-term restrictive contract with an organization like the UFC in order to do it. You could just show up, take one boxing fight, make a little bit of money, and move on. Yeah. And it sort of strikes me as like we're do- we're at the same kind of point in boxing in a weird way as we kind of are with porn. Like OnlyFans is a thing that even some moderately famous person who does not have like an easy immediate way to monetize that amount of fame could do if they're willing to. If they're willing to do that, they can be like, okay, I would like to quickly make a bunch of money because I realize there is an interest not just in seeing people naked, but in seeing specific people naked. It's kind of the same thing with boxing. There's an interest in seeing not just people fight, but specific people fight. And we don't even care if they're that good at it. We just care that we know them. And that's kind of what the, the the sexy doctor was going for. And it's also kind of what Jake Paul's whole career is. It's just that he, as we're seeing, is better at it. Wow. I feel like for years we have been perhaps blissfully oblivious, maybe insistently oblivious of the close nature of the relationship between combat sports and pornography. And now you've just blown it up. You've blown it up oh. for all of us. You've Now that you've said it, we can't unsay it. I've been making this comparison for a long time. This, they're both sort of like uh, flesh trade businesses, and neither one of them are the kind of thing that most people got into as their first idea. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, I would think another aspect of it would be that you can just get into boxing, as you said, and take one fight, and maybe work with some promoters that aren't insistent about keeping all the money. Whereas yeah. if you were going to come in and try to do MMA in a big time way, uh, the UFC certainly would. In, in, insist on keeping 85% of the profits. So just like Anderson Silva, you know, Dr. Mike can go in there and make himself a, a chunk of change. However, you and I both commented on the somewhat ironic 
nature of uh, of Dr. Mike Varshavsky's professional fighting career, given that his day job, if you will, is that he is a doctor who specializes in giving health tips on the internet to millennials, his Wikipedia page told us. Uh, but here you are. Your two things are you're trying to tell people how to be healthy and you're pretty in the face. That makes a boxing career seem like a bad idea on both sides of the coin. <laughs> I mean, if you stay in it for 10 years, yeah, uh, that would not be great for your brain health or for your good looks. But you know what? You show up, you take one boxing match, maybe you get a little bit of like a rugged scarring going on. Not the worst thing in the world for you. Yeah, and you know? uh, Dr. Mike pretty much took a whooping from Chris Avila, a member but of the, he took it. the That's Diaz the important fight thing. camp. He took it, and to be honest, he looked overjoyed to take it most of the time. Avila was unloading on him with these overhand rights, and maybe it was just Dr. Mike's sexy face, but he seemed overjoyed to be in there, just smiling at this guy, getting punched in the face. Uh, and he, he made it through all, what, four rounds? Four four rounds of professional boxing action? Yeah. So, Big ups, I guess, to Dr. Mike. We will talk, of course, a great deal more about everything involved in the Anderson Silva Jake Paul pay-per-view coming up in the show. For now, just a reminder that you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you like what you're doing here, you should uh, check us out over at the CME Patreon page patreon.com slash co-main event you can sign up to join the team over there we got three actually four now handy tiers of patronage that you can choose from to support the podcast you know one thing that goes on over at the patreon now that we don't give a lot of talk to is some exciting stuff with this show right here the proper now you can listen to it for free as you may be doing right now on your most favored podcast app but if you sign up over at the patreon page ben folks you can get the ad free version of this show no more annoying breaks between rounds where you got to listen to advertising you can just get us for the hour just our voices nobody bothering you about you know dish soap or uh laundry detergent or any of that good stuff so if you want the free version of the proper you should head on over to patreon.com slash co-main event and check that out if you happen to be a member of our highest tier well you can get in for the proper after hours when this show goes off the air we just keep talking you and me just keep talking and the highest tier patrons over there the 20 dollar patrons at patreon.com slash co-main event that's for their ears only because who knows what we get up to after hours you love saying that you after absolutely love it hours i feel dirty about it after just because of the hours <laughs> You're the one over here talking about porns. You're talking about how basically this show is a glorified porn talk show. And you know what? Honestly, that's what we should have done. When I say after hours, we We should have just called the whole show after hours. If we were talking about the porns, maybe we still can. Maybe we can. Who knows? That opportunity is still out there for us. You could also get additional programming on the CME Patreon, get the Wednesday live chat where everybody gets the opportunity to ask us their thinly veiled commentary disguised as questions for over an hour every Wednesday afternoon. We got Thursdays doing the damn thing podcast where we dip out of the world of MMA and talk about uncombat sports related stuff that we feel like might be of interest to this audience. And then of course, Friday, the power hour, an entire additional hour of curated MMA talk, 
featuring the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast Patreon Power Hour Power Ranking. So if that sounds interesting to you in any way, head on over to patreon.com slash co-main event and check us out over there. If you don't want to hook up with the Patreon, but you want to shout out to the world that you love you some co-main event podcast, you can also check out our new merchandise shop. Just go to our website, co-mainevent.com. Click the link at the top of the page that says shop. That will get you over there for that. You can get co-main event podcast uh logo merchandise you can get dundasso merchandise you can get the cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirts that you guys have been wearing for years and you can get the top seller the big money item ben the bobby nux t-shirt celebrating our guy robert whitaker yeah yeah a lot of uh a lot of interesting addresses we're shipping these things out to going out all over the world it really is amazing honestly shipping stuff out to malta yeah so head on over to uh, the co-main event podcast shop and uh, make a purchase. And, you know, it's starting to get cold out there. Maybe you need to get yourself a nice cold weather beanie. We got those. We got those maybe, for sale. Maybe you need to get yourself a, a tote bag. Take to the uh, the organic food store. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're wearing your Dundasso hoodie. Then everybody would know where you were coming from. We got music this week from CME listener and beloved patron Doug Ty, a.k.a. Spider Fighting. He describes his music as, quote, instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. Backpack boom bap. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash spider fighting. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva could have been a lot worse. And look. If we're already going to live in a world where a famous YouTuber makes a fortune picking off aging MMA fighters on pay-per-view, at least give me this version of it, I guess. And in round number two, on a night when people already had almost no reason to watch the UFC, Calvin Cater's leg blew up and gave us all the sads. If that ain't some total MMA shit, I don't know what is. And in round number three, after years of complete stasis and nearly complete radio silence, John Jones is suddenly hot to get something on the books with Stipe Miocic by the end of the year. If that ain't some total MMA shit, I don't know what is. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. Honestly, NordVPN is one of my favorite online products right now. I use it on all my devices, and I know Ben does too. It's super fast, and it's easy enough to use that even I can figure it out, which sometimes is saying something. NordVPN will give you the peace of mind of knowing that your personal information is safe online, whether you're using the internet at home or traveling or just running around town and your phone is bouncing from one public Wi-Fi signal to another. Ben, tell the kids at home what your favorite part about using NordVPN is. Well, my favorite part, Chad, about the encryption powerhouse that is NordVPN is how it'll kick on no matter where I am, whenever I'm connecting to public Wi-Fis to take care of me, protect me. Doesn't matter if I'm at the shopping mall. Doesn't matter if I'm at the delicatessen. Doesn't matter if I'm at my local tavern. NordVPN's got me covered. Shopping mall, delicatessen, 
local tavern. That about covers your movements, I would You think. just described my perfect Sunday. <laughs> Obviously, been telling you guys about the Nord security bundle for a while now. NordVPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to go for the big dog, you can get the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords. Protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main to get one free bonus month as well as their exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Biscuit Smuggler. Okay. Who writes, look, I'm busy today. Apparently not that busy. Biscuit (laughs) Smuggler. But you two apparently need a professional criminal to point out the obvious, he says. Dana White's Power Slap League is an obvious front for quote-unquote financial creativity. Money laundering is too flat a term to use for someone with such a big bankroll. Set aside that a new business like this has a ton of spots to hide physical cash, parenthetically, contractors, building supplies, etc. If it loses a bunch of money, they get it back at tax time. If they end up finding a way to make money with a bunch of short, exciting clips that are easy to circulate and share, oops, free money. Now add that in and now add in that Dana White will be both writing invoices on behalf of the UFC and paying them from the White Power Fund. Uh Uh-oh. It's obvious, right? So what do you make of this notion, Ben folks, that, uh, here, I'll say this, 100%, I believe that uh, Dana White and the Fertitta brothers, along with Ike Epstein and the rest of the partners over here at the Dana White Power Slap League, uh, have figured out all of the angles, tax and otherwise, for running a business like this. And if you told me that that is one of the things that makes it more attractive to them, that they see some some financial ins and outs here and get stuff back on the taxes, maybe, uh, maybe have a few new shelters here or there, mm, I wouldn't be totally surprised. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. And I guess maybe it's true that I do not have the mind of a professional criminal and that my thoughts don't immediately go there, as does the mind of Biscuit Smuggler, apparently. But And it's true also that whenever I hear about already super rich people going to great lengths to avoid paying taxes and to you know, shelter their money various places, I always just think, but you're already you're going to be rich either way. And that seems exhausting, man. Like, <laughs> I, I guess I just, I don't love money as much as those people. If once I had enough of it, I'd be like, eh, I'll just pay the taxes. I'm still rich. I don't mind. But they, you know, it has been proven over and over again that r- super rich people do not often feel that way. I also, though, think we're, we're kind of running the risk of overcomplicating what is probably a very simple calculation. It's probably not that we're looking around for new tax shelters or new ways to launder money or something. It's probably that they just want to, they think that here's an opportunity to own a brand new sport, kind of what they did with MMA and the UFC. And that maybe they also look at it and be like, oh yeah, this shit is rad. Guys be slapping each other. Like they probably think that it's actually kind of cool. Yeah. And I don't think that – I think that we might be overthinking it a little bit here more than they are where he thinks like, oh, here's the thing, low startup costs, low risk, uh, get into an investment. Maybe it blows up. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but you kind of get the band back together and uh, get some T-shirts made up and then uh, you know, watch some big fat dudes slap each other. That probably seems like a good time to them. 
Yeah, one of the things I was just going to bring up is whether or not we are also underestimating the bringing the band back together angle on this. I know we don't typically give Dana White and the Fertitta brothers much credit for humanity, but like these are guys that have known each other their whole lives, man. I wonder if it's just a possibility that they miss each other, that they miss working with each other, right? Like they did it for 20 years. They, they grew up together, went to the same high school, and then they worked together basically building the UFC into the monstrous money-making juggernaut that it is today. And then the Fertitas just like left the game. I wonder yeah. if they, I wonder if Dana White is sending texts like, man, I miss our late night talks. You know what I mean? Like been a while <laughs> well, since we got together. Maybe we get in on this slap league. Maybe we got something to talk about again. I mean, you and I were just talking on doing the damn thing a couple weeks ago about the difficulties of, at times, of maintaining adult friendships. I saw somebody once note, I I think like on Twitter or Instagram, one of those sort of viral things saying how men created uh, sort of remotely gaming with each other or talking to each other on headsets while they're playing video games to give themselves an excuse to talk to their friends on the phone, basically. Is that what these guys are doing? Is that what is this the super rich guy version of gaming to like maintain our friendships? Like, they don't do that. They what they do is start a business together. That's how they keep in, in touch with their friends. Yeah, and then maybe also hide some money from the government. Who knows? I mean, it's probably another one of the perks, right? It's probably just like another uh, factor in all of this that makes it an attractive thing to do. That you get to go work with the with your boys of Fertitas again. Like, I don't I don't think that's probably a small thing at all. Have a few beers, start a company, try to own a sport, watch some people get slapped, watch some concussions happen. Yeah, just get some wings. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) Next question this week comes to us from Cody Bernston over on Patreon. He says, yeah, it would have been great for Anderson Silva to win that fight. The CME mantra of it's always better to win than lose still holds true. Yep. But he didn't get KO'd. Was that the best possible outcome to ensure Scotty Cox still tries to make the call and get Silva versus Fedor booked for the New Year's Eve show? Now, Anderson Silva has made some noise about how he's doesn't he doesn't think he's done in MMA. He wants to have another MMA fight. He also said in the wake of this uh, Jake Paul boxing match, he's going to go do a jujitsu tournament, which seems like bad news for the other guys involved in that. Uh, but what do you think? Like that's up to this point, Scotty Cox has seemed very focused on Fedor versus Ryan Bader, and indeed very focused on saying that's what Fedor wants. But by God, man. <laughs> if Fedor Emelianenko versus Anderson Silva is on the table for you as any MMA promoter in this world, I think you've got to pull out all the stops to try to make that fight because if Bellator could actually pull that off, it would legitimately be considered among one of the biggest fights of the year. And if you can put your name on that as Bellator, put your name on it, man. Okay, wait. I is anybody actually even talking about this pairing except for us? I know we brought it up, but I haven't heard anybody else mention their two names together, Anderson Silva and Fedor. I, I have not heard any serious discussion about that. I mean, it's like, are we are we just working ourselves into a lather here for something that is not on anybody's radar who actually is in a decision-making capacity here? How could it not be? Like Scott Coger mentioned it a few weeks ago, but mentioned it as sort of like, I know everyone wants to do Anderson Silva, but we've got our eyes on Ryan Bader. God damn it. Uh, how could you not? If this fight is out there in the ether for you to make, how could you not want to make it considering the upside 
in, maybe not of the action inside the cage, but the upside of every single other factor. Like it would be a huge yeah. fight in the landscape for a company in Bellator that right now that just feels like a complete afterthought. Feels like it might have been passed up by the PFL for second place in the world of, of MMA. And just like, you need something big right now, man. The lightweight Grand Prix coming up in 2023 ain't going to do it. Give me Fedor yeah. versus Anderson. And you got my money and my attention for at least a little at while. One championship is over there on Amazon Prime now. Uh, PFLs on ESPN Plus. You are suddenly the least accessible of all the major MMA options. So you do need something. I also think, though, somebody needs to get in Fedor's ear and be like, listen, big fella, we know you want that one back against Ryan Bader. You feel like you can beat him. You feel like you got unfinished business there. You're the only one who feels that way about it, though. No one else gives a shit about Ryan Bader and you and the, your history together. If you Best case scenario, if you go out there and just start Ryan Bader in the first round, people are going to be like, okay. But if you fight Anderson goddamn Silva, that's, that's Legends Night stuff. My man, people are, are calling in sick to their own weddings to watch that one. And you kind of have a pretty good chance of beating him. You're just a bigger fella, uh, bringing a little more more weight behind the punches. Plus, he may be, he's lost a little bit of the speed. He's lost a little bit of the pop. I'm sure we'll discuss that more when we get into the specifics of his boxing match. But you, you could probably go out there and maybe get yourself a win over Anderson Silva, and it'll still kind of mean something, and it would be like a great coda to your career of people saying, oh, man. We for for one night it felt like two thousand eight all over again. Yeah. If Fedor truly is as focused on Ryan Bader as Scotty Coker keeps saying that he is, it's just another example of Fedor Emelianenko being an alien. That's I mean I can't think of any other <laughs> explanation for it. Next question this week comes to us from the God King. Who writes, so I am not someone who watches boxing normally, but I couldn't help myself last night. I have never been more frustrated in my entire life. I don't know what's more infuriating, the short rounds or limited weapons available. Every time things start to get going, the round was over. And I don't know how many times I yelled at the screen for Anderson to just throw a knee and finish it already. Every round brought me close to completion just to leave sad and alone while the fighters went to their corners. Now, I mean, here's that... Uh, combat sports as pornography metaphor yeah. popping up again here. But I will say this, Ben, I empathize with this as an MMA guy trying to watch boxing. It's just a strange sport, man. It's like you're super used to watching rugby or something. And then you switch over and watch NFL football. And you're like, why are they wearing these helmets? Why, why you know, why don't they just uh, run in and score a try? But uh, why are they stopping the rest all the time? Yeah, it's a different, yeah. it's a different sport and it's got a different, feel it's got a different flow to it for sure well i'm glad you and the god king can find some common ground on this issue a lot of similarities I, between me and the god king i mean i think a lot of it is just what you get used to kind of like you said the same way that i imagine to a lot of people who the only combat sports exposure they're used to is boxing when the first time they see somebody get dropped by a head kick and then somebody jump on them while they're laying on the ground and punch them in the face in mma they might be horrified and like, whoa, come on, you got to give that man at least an eight count. What the hell are you doing? 
I I think it's just that we get so used to the way it, the the rhythms of an MMA fight and the things you have to worry about in an MMA fight that especially when we see somebody we see a lot of people in boxing employing a strategy where they're going to go ahead and put their head right in the zone where you could just knee them just knee them right in the face or right in the zone where you wouldn't even have to be a great kicker to kick them right across the face and that's a workable strategy in boxing makes you harder to punch down there. And then you could come up at, at odd angles and catch people and it just doesn't work in MMA. And so we don't see it the same way. The, the footwork is a whole lot different and because they don't ever have to worry about somebody kicking them in the leg or reaching down and just, uh, you know, snatching up their, their heel and putting them on the back. They don't have to worry about any of that shit. So they develop different styles. It's the same way. If we developed a sport where, you could only use one hand to punch and only between the the shoulder and the nipple. The people who did that sport would get really good at it. And they would develop really weird looking styles to, to make it work. And they might be better at that. They might be better at hitting you in the center of the chest than anybody else in the world who employs all the, all the range of combat sports. But it would still be kind of weird and limited. Yeah. And, yeah. I think it's just uh, the same thing on a little bit of a broader scale with boxing, but you just, you know, you got to get used to it. Do you think that there's anything at all to the idea that we come from a sport where the guys who own the company have spent like 20 years actively telling us that every single fight should basically be a huge pier six brawl where like you got to leave it all out there and everybody gets bloody and you're a real warrior. And if you don't do it, you're, you're kind of, you kind of let everybody down. Like, I don't get that, that there's the same expectation in boxing. Whereas in MMA, it's just sort of like every fight has to be as crazy as possible. I think there's some spillover that boxing fans still get disappointed by uh, fights that aren't super action packed or that are just sort of like lackluster decisions. I think, you know, one of the things that we saw maybe in that uh, Uriah Hall fight is that every once in a while where you see, and you'll see this, I think probably more often in boxing than MMA, where it looks like one guy could just decide to do more and get it over with and get us out of here. But why should he? Because that involves taking more risks, you know? Yeah. For those who didn't see the pay-per-view, it turns out Uriah Hall's boxing matches proceed a lot like Uriah Hall's MMA fights did. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to that website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, they made us wait four hours. They really strung things out, man. We watched an unbelievable amount of filler content, including five fights on the main card. Five fights yeah. on the main card, uh, including Anderson Silva versus Jake Paul. So I wouldn't say it was an energetic or action-packed pay-per-view event. However... When these guys went out there, man, they actually had a fun fight. Like it was a tense fight 
It was a fairly competitive fight, though I think the judges got it right in a clear-cut, unanimous decision for Jake Paul. But if you were willing to engage with this thing on its own merits, I think you had to come away entertained. If you weren't entertained by this, it was probably because some of the many, many extenuating circumstances just did not appeal to you. And that's fine. I get it. But based merely on the action in the ring, this was actually a fun fight and it didn't make us feel too sad. Yeah, it had some good action. It felt like by the end, we had answered the questions we came here to answer to, but we did so without depressing the hell out of anybody unnecessarily, you know? Anderson Silva, he's not as good as he once was, but he has some moments. He has some some flashes there where he looks pretty good. He he made this young fella earn it, you know, made, made him work for this. He also, though, got paid. He got paid what we are led to believe is at least somewhere in the several millions of dollars range. And what he brought to the table in exchange was his name, the the ability to get MMA fans worked up into a lather by Jake Paul's whole gimmick, which is picking on the, the, the versions of our heroes that he thinks that he stands a good chance of beating, which he knows he's doing that. We know that he's doing that. We get mad about it. We don't think that he deserves to walk this earth being able to honestly say that he beat Anderson Silva in a fist fight. Yeah. He knows that that enrages us and he plays on that. And the result is a lot of attention and a lot of views. And for his part in that dance, Anderson Silva gets extremely well compensated. And it seems like if you go by the reactions you see on Sunday and Monday after this fight, it seems like we, the MMA public and even some other MMA fighters, have a much harder time with it than Anderson Silva does. He seemed pretty at peace walking out of there afterwards. Yeah. He said, you know, he didn't disagree with the judges. Uh, he was a little disappointed in some of his, uh, the way he went about that fight, but also felt like, you know, he got out there, he got to do his stuff. He got to give himself a chance. He likes to compete. He did not seem like he is really dwelling on the bitter taste of defeat here. He seemed like he was, you know, on to the next, on to that jujitsu tournament where he's going to roll up in some kind of grand masters division and some poor 50-year-old bastard is going to be like, ah, oh, damn it, Anderson Silva's in my bracket. Yeah, there's some accountant out there who's keeping himself in pretty good shape. He's rolling in like 190, 195. He's going to go to the high school gym and check the list that's taped up to the wall and be like, let's see here, A Silva, A Silva. <laughs> Where's he at? Oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> You know, but yeah, I mean, he seemed okay with it walking did. out of there, and they. But you, know, you see, a lot of other people, like from the MMA space, we just can't handle it. And I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I also, I would say to those people, and I saw, you know, Anthony Smith. I think this was from before the fight. I think this was on when he was on uh, Bisping podcast, maybe after UFC 280, uh, talking about this fight as it was upcoming and he was suggesting that people should boycott Jake Paul's fights basically like fuck Jake Paul he doesn't respect these people he's using old UFC fighters to, to further his own goals basically and I would ask look at the treatment that Anderson Silva got before during immediately after all around this fight the treatment that he got and the pay that he got compare it with how he exited the UFC 
where we put him out there to get knocked out and we kind of knew that that was probably what was going to happen. He got knocked out bad. He made, I'm sure, a fraction of the money that he made for this thing. It wasn't on pay-per-view. It was in the apex with hardly anybody there. And then afterwards, Dana White went to the press conference and was like, oh, no, I'm, we made a mistake. We should never even book this fight. Like, kind of, you know, not exactly shit-talking the guy, but not exactly holding him up either yeah. as, you know, a proud legend of this sport. And here he got to show up with everybody just... Loving on him, talking about how much we all love Anderson Silva, talking about how much we respect him. He he, you know, went eight hard rounds with the young fella, came up on the losing end, got dropped once, got his nose bloodied and his eyes swole up a little bit. But honestly, seemed to get in all ways, financially and just like the treatment, everything, a better deal out of it than what he got there at the end from the UFC. So I don't know how we can be that mad about it. Yeah, and since Anthony Smith brought it up, let's talk a little bit about Jake Paul here. Now, I would say one of the best things Anderson Silva brought to the table, just as it concerns this specific pay-per-view, was like a fun Jake Paul fight, which... Yeah. Like this was clearly the best, most competitive, most interesting, most compelling fight of Jake Paul's short, quote unquote, professional boxing career, if you want to call it that. And that was because of Anderson Silva. So I'm going to give him credit for that. Uh, I think you're right that he seemed very much at peace with it before and after it happened. And if Anthony Smith is right, which I'm not saying he's wrong, I think he actually is right. I think Jake Paul is using these aging MMA fighters to make a bunch of money and get himself over. But at the same time, aren't we all, isn't that what every promoter in this business is doing? Isn't that there? We're all using each other to one extent or another. And at least Anderson Silva is getting a chunk of the change in this one. At least they're not using him and keeping 85% of the profits like the UFC was. So it seems to me he, he might've got the best treatment of his fighting career. In this yeah. in this pay-per-view, to be honest. I mean, certainly there's a whole lot of people lining up to be similarly used by Jake Paul. Yeah. A whole lot of people <laughs> a lot would of take people. that. Uh, Uriah Hall, for example, who doesn't have a chance of being used by Jake Paul in that way is uh, doing the right thing and throwing his hat in the ring. But here's what I wanted to say about Jake Paul, because I feel like at this point you have to respect Jake Paul, if nothing else, as like a pretty good athlete a guy who legitimately works hard at this stuff and, you know, as a serviceable, serviceable, like mid-level beginner boxer. Like, I think that's what he is. And when you watch him, that's just what he looks like. But I think the thing that you have to respect about him most, and you just said this a second ago, like it or not, is the business model, man. Like, is Jake Paul going to be a championship level fighter? No, almost certainly not. But the, the beauty of it for him is that he doesn't have to be yeah. like he knows very well that there are enough money fights against, you know, reduced competition in these old MMA fighters that he can make a fortune. And that's amazing when you think about it. Like he's been very, very smart about how he has gone about this boxing career. And a lot of it was specifically designed to make us mad. And it did. And I don't like to sit here on Monday morning and say, you know, uh, mid twenties YouTuber, Jake Paul now has a win over Anderson Silva on his professional record, but he's like, he's been very smart about how he's marketed this, how he's picked these fights, how he's trained for them, how he's gone about the whole thing. And like, if nothing else in this industry right now, I think you got to respect this business model that he's crafted for himself. Cause it's ingenious. 
It is. And you also got to look around and say, this is a guy who is six and oh, as a professional. And the, the first one came against, uh, like a, a fellow social media influencer kind of guy, uh, two years ago, almost three years ago. And so to go from that to fighting Anderson Silva, knocking out Tyron Woodley in under three years, that is kind of impressive. And like, what are most pro boxers doing five, six fights into their career? You know, if you're going to look at him and be like, well, yeah, but he can't beat Canelo. No shit. Neither can anybody out there who's five and six and oh, you know, it's, the, the thing that he is actually doing a pretty good job of doing is like, I remember when he first started some of this stuff, people were saying, is this bad for boxing? Is this a bad look for boxing? If, you know, some Disney kid, some YouTuber can jump in here and do it. And is he making a mockery of the sport? Now that we're a few years into this experiment, you can't tell me that he hasn't done boxing a favor. Yeah. That he hasn't even brought more attention. Look around at the, how many much younger people seem to be in the audience for this one. You observed this several times during our watch party where you were like, why does it look like there's a bunch of babies sitting at front row? Children. A bunch of kids, like middle school kids sitting there. And you saw it when the, you know, the dude's walking out after his uh, quick knockout and what the co-main event, and he's stopping to take pictures with everybody. It looks like a bunch of 12-year-olds really excited to see this guy. You, that's not something you see at most boxing events. He is doing you a favor, bringing in a younger audience and exposing them to this, and maybe they get into it. And you just can't be that mad at the guy at this point because we were saying, you know, when he fought a Ben Askren coming off a hip replacement, and then back then we were like, hey, look, Anderson Silva's getting into boxing now that he's done with the UFC. You won't fight him, will you, though? No, that's too tough a fight. Then he goes out there and he fights Anderson Silva and beats him, knocks yeah. him down. Yeah, at least give him that respect, you know, and giving Anderson Silva a good payday to do it. That's not nothing. Oh, I agree. Before we wrap up, we got to talk about uh, the next order of business here. Nathan Donald Diaz, who, of course, is at this uh, pay-per-view event doing Nathan Donald Diaz stuff and who shapes up potentially as the biggest money opponent yet for Jake Paul. And yet, doesn't it seem like it, 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 it at least where we come from? Isn't it generally assumed that Nate Diaz is a less competitive opponent for Jake Paul than Anderson Silva was? Like, Jake Paul has opened as a huge betting favorite in this fight. I think he's going to make more money probably for the Nate Diaz fight, but I wouldn't expect it to be even as competitive as this one was. Would you? Well, it's, it's hard to know what to expect from Nathan Donald Diaz at this point. Because... You know, we watched him in that that Tony Ferguson fight where we thought he was going to his execution against Chimaev, and then we switched it up at the last minute. He had kind of made some remarks suggesting that made you wonder how hard he had trained for the fight. And so I don't know. I don't know what he what he is actually still capable of at this point. But I I have seen those guys, the way that the Diaz brothers go about boxing, and he has, for years, trained with pro boxers, sparred with pro boxers in his training camp. They do have a different style. They will will walk you down and wear you out just with kind of volume and their willingness to take punches and stuff. I think the thing that you have to understand coming out of this one, though, is that 
Jake Paul is at least a smarter fighter than I think people gave him credit for. He seems to know what he is and what he isn't. He doesn't go out there and do dumb stuff just based on pure ego and trying to, to make a point to anybody. He, he's taking care of himself pretty well in there. There are definitely some areas where he's weak still, but he can pop you. He, he has power and he, he, he fights pretty smart for what he has. Yeah. So I, I might worry a little bit about Diaz's chances in that sense. But you know what? He, he's looking for that payday too. And the the lead up would be obnoxious as hell, yeah. but it would also draw a lot of views. Yeah, and I guess the our, we hope that Nate Diaz gets paid a lot of money, just like we hope Anderson Silva did if he takes that fight. One of the things that would worry me is that Jake Paul is like a 190-pound athlete. And at least in this Anderson Silva fight, he appeared to fight a guy that was like about his same size, maybe for the first time in his career. Uh, Nate Diaz was, eh, let's just say, a natural lightweight in the UFC. Fought at 170 a bunch there toward the end, but man... Uh, I don't know. This seems like another one where Jake Paul's going to be fighting a guy from a different weight class. Yeah, it does a little bit, but also just kind of historically in Nate Diaz's career, the ways in which that has showed up as a problem for him has been mostly against wrestlers in the wrestling and grappling game. And at least here, he doesn't have to worry about that. I guess that's true. All right, let's do, are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two, Ben, what's your, are you fucking kidding me this week? <sighs> Well, Chad, it gives me no pleasure to do this, but I must read to you a tweet from Henry Cejudo. Okay, all right. Yeah, let's hear it. 6.28 p.m., October 30th, 2022. Hey, at Dana White, since Denzel Sterling wants to work on his rap career, in parentheses, he can be called Lil Power, how about me versus Ronald Meth Donald at Sugar Sean MMA for an interim in Australia? I'm short. So I'm used to being down under. Trophy emoji, trophy emoji, trophy emoji. Are you fucking kidding me? How is this guy going to make me wish that he really was retired? <laughs> just your, you know what the thing that gets me about this, this whole, this tweet, it's just, it's all encapsulated here. You're doing too much, Henry. You're trying to do too much here. We're trying, Denzel Sterling. Yeah. We're trying to do okay that Aljamain Sterling is, you know, and then he's going to work on his, his rap career. And then you got to go try to give Sugar Sean O'Malley a nickname, Ronald Meth Donald. And then you're going to make a self-deprecating height joke. Like you're back at the UFC Apex Def Jam comedy roast or whatever it was. Come on, man. It's too much. Focus. Yeah. Better yet, don't tweet. Stop tweeting. Fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, he is packing a lot in there, man. Too much. You're doing too much. I trophy emoji, that. trophy emoji, trophy emoji. Ronald Meth Donald? Yeah. Is that? I can't decide if that's good or bad. Can't decide if that's a good or bad See, singer. But that's the problem. If he had just done that, if that was all he was doing with this tweet, not trying to give everybody a nickname, just trying to be like, hey, Dana, how about me versus Ronald Meth Donald? Boom. No self-deprecating height joke. No Aljamain Sterling uh, acting joke. N none of that stuff. Then we could focus on it. We could be like, okay, maybe that's it. that ain't bad. But you're just, you're cluttering the landscape, man. That's what it is. It's too cluttered. Yep. Well, I guess raise your hand 
if you had on your Jake Paul Anderson Silva bingo card that Ariel Helwani would show up as the best dressed guy on a boxing <laughs> broadcast, especially when he's sitting there next to GSP. GSP, GQ ass motherfucker GSP. Are you fucking And he outdresses me? him. Fucking kidding me. Ariel Helwani looking resplendent in the sort of like a dark green window pane suit, double breasted, it looked like which is sort of unorthodox, but man, he was owning it. And the green tie with the tie knot about the size of the Hope Diamond? Whew. This was probably the best thing that happened for MMA all night. It was Ariel Helwani showing up looking like a million bucks and dropping the MMA knowledge on the broadcast all night. You fucking kidding me? Who's his suit guy? You know what? GSP going to really be on his P's and Q's the next time he has to show up to an event with Ariel. He probably underestimated here and thought, like, okay, this reporter-ass dude ain't going yeah. to show up and, you know, just some plain-ass suit. I ain't got to worry about if I'm going to be sitting next to him. From now on, they're going to be going to dinner and GSP is going to be, like, calling him up. You're like, Ariel, what are you planning to wear to dinner? Are we thinking formal or are we casual? Uh, who's bad. a suit guy? I need the name. <laughs> Send me location of suit guy. That's all I'm saying. He looked good. Brother, you, you can't afford me? it. No, you can't afford true. them Ariel Helwani suits. That's, that's Be true. real. I'm going to have to take, I'm gonna have to fight Dr. Mike if I want to try to afford <laughs> one of these Ariel Helwani suits. This guy looks good. America's sexiest doctor against America's daddest man. Chad done this. GSP just standing there looking at himself in the mirror real sadly like, I am not impressed with your performance. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, to open this round, I'm going to read you a question from Red Shack Guy. I wish you would. Who writes, Calvin Cutter fucked up his knee landing from a jump in round one. Everyone saw it pop. The refs, both fighters, the audience, Jesus, everyone. He limps back to the corner, doesn't say his knee is fucked. His corner doesn't say anything really about it or toss the towel. Even the doctor comes in, looks at Calvin kind of standing upright and goes, okay, you were good to fight another round at a professional cage fight. Round two starts, Alvin kick, Alan kicks Calvin's leg immediately, Calvin crashes to the ground crying in pain, and then the ref waves the fight off. Who failed most here? The corner, the doctor, the ref? What on earth was gained by letting Calvin limp out and get cracked in the leg for 10 seconds more of a fight? I was really disturbed by this. Now, just to correct Red Shack guy on a fact, he did mention something to yeah. his corner his about corner the knee. talked about it. Um, but they... As corners will often do in those situations, tried to move past it. Tried to focus our attention on what we can control. You know, he said, oh, my knee, is it okay? Which one is it okay? Did it pop? He was like, I don't know. And then like, okay, well, here's what we got to do in the next round. And clearly you could tell he was not in a situation where he was capable of doing much. But I'll say this. You're in that situation. If... You're, you felt something go in your knee. You know that that ain't great, but you're already here and the knee, whatever happened to the knee has probably already happened. You're still trying to give yourself a chance. You could see him jumping up and down, just kind of bouncing up and down on his toes in his corner. 
before going out for that second round. And it seemed like part of that is to try to convince the ref that he's okay. And some of that is maybe to try to convince himself yeah. that he's okay. Trying to be like, oh, no, I can still, uh, I'm not, I'm not collapsing. I, I can stand here. I can move around a little bit. And then you go out there and you pretty quickly realize, nope, it's done. Like, I understand we don't like seeing that, but I also feel like this is one of the things that makes fighting a different sport than other sports. This is a basketball game. He's going to the locker room. We might see him second half. They're going to go take a look. at might, They might go get a damn MRI or x-ray or something just while we're at commercial break. But in fighting, you don't have that luxury. Either yeah. you're in it or you're out of it. And I think if he's trying to give himself a chance to see, maybe can I stay in it? Can I land one big shot? Can I do something? Uh, you came all this way. You know, you're already here. You're, you're trying to make the most of it. You, st- you think you still have a chance. I don't mind something like this nearly as much as I mind seeing it when somebody's just getting rocked over and over again. Clearly, he can't. Come, he, he's out of his depth in the fight and he probably already concussed and does not have a chance to come back and be competitive. And then we send him out there for more brain damage. Sending him out there with the knee already fucked up, but you're probably not going to hurt it too much more. Yeah. This was some MMA ass shit. And I don't want to pretend like it wasn't because it obviously was. Uh, and I would just remind everyone, as we do when this kind of stuff happens, that for everyone involved, every single incentive is always to keep the fight going. Right. Yep. There, There's just no real world incentive for anyone to stop the fight when the financial obligation says you should keep going. There's a live studio audience there imploring you to keep going. The promoter obviously wants the fight to keep going. Uh, the only real argument for stopping the fight, and it ought to be the definitive one, being the health and safety of the fighter, doesn't really seem to cross anyone's mind. In the real world, once you're already out there doing the shit. And we have seen time and time again that one of the things we need most acutely is someone to protect these fighters from themselves. Because not only is Calvin Cater out there trying to make it seem like he's fine, and it could well be that he wasn't entirely sure how bad he was hurt. That's what he told his corner between rounds. So he might not have known that the thing was totally blown. Maybe it wasn't totally blown after round one. Maybe he didn't blow it out until the start of round two. We don't know. But he's out there doing everything he can to make it look good, to make it look like he can keep going. And I thought doing a pretty good job. Like when he's out there jumping up and down before the start of the next round, I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe he is okay. Maybe he can go. Now, if there's a, obviously there's failings up and down the line all the way in this sport, all the time. This is not a unique situation in that regard but like it kind of seemed like the doctor the ringside doctor who came in didn't even really check the knee he just kind of came in he's like you good you look good all right have fun uh and if anything maybe you do a more thorough check of the knee if you're the ringside doctor but again like i said every single incentive every single contributing factor always in these situations says let the fight go on and i know we're used to it at this point but maybe the most arresting part of the whole thing is when you got Dom Cruz and Michael Bisping in the broadcast booth, a couple of crafty old dogs, if there ever was one, and a couple yeah. of guys who know their way around a mixed martial arts injury. One of them, at least, essentially conned his way back into the ring with one eye for much of the latter stages of his career, won himself a damn championship that way. Uh, but it's still kind of arresting to me 
to listen to these UFC broadcasts where they're basically like, oh, he's going to fake it. He'll fake it good enough to get back out there for the second where I'm like, really? Like this is open enough in this sport now where that's how we talk about it, where it's like, yeah, this guy's clearly fucked up, but watch him fake it and get back out there and keep going. It's also telling that one of the first things Dominic Cruz said when this fight ended was, well, at least it happened here where he gets paid and not in training in the gym before the fight where he'd be completely shit out of luck, wouldn't get anything. That says something about this sport, and that's something where I don't I don't even realize I don't think he realizes the exact commentary on the, this sport that he is making there. Yeah, for sure. Don uh Cruz dropping truth bombs without even knowing it is what it sounded like. Right. Because it that is the way it works, but that's kind of crazy that it works that way. And it doesn't have to work that way. But just being like, well, at least he got injured for some money. And being like, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess it could have been worse, and it often is worse, but that's because it's really shitty. That's that's a really shitty thing about MMA, and not a thing that we just have to accept as being completely normal. But I also, th- you know, I remember talking to Greg Jackson about this stuff sometimes about when to stop a fight and what's an injury that's kind of too much and everything, and he was like. I kind of, you know, I'm I'm trying to protect the guy and think about his longevity and uh, his life and everything. But I also think if you're going to make the the mental commitment to get in there and fight, you have to treat the fight as a special time. A time when you will try to push through things that you wouldn't push through if it was just training. That you wouldn't push through if you were just, you know, trying to get in shape and learn some martial arts even. Like you, you're, if you're going to go out there in a sport where, hey... Maybe you get your nose broken. Maybe you break your hand. We expect you to keep going if you break your hand. When people stop because they say like a, a broken hand, they catch a lot of shit for that. Yeah. And we we expect you to be able to push through some stuff that they would never tr- even try to push through in another sport. Again, they'd be in the locker room, the team doctor taking a look at them, watching how the game unfolds on a monitor. And in fighting, we expect you to be able to push through some of that stuff. So it makes sense that sometimes people are going to try to push through stuff that they can't. Yeah. And as far as the question of what was gained by how having Calvin go out there just long enough to take one leg kick and, and collapse and crumple, I guess the thing that was gained is there we we know. We, we if he if he had stayed there on the stool or if a doctor had felt his knee and been like, nah, we're calling it off, he might have been mad. People would have been like, what the hell? We well, we don't have to wonder now. We know he couldn't yeah. do it. I mean, you have to admit, though, it's a starkly different situation than what we saw at the Jake Paul Anderson Silva pay-per-view when one guy's corner man, who we were led to believe had kind of been his trainer all of his life. They have this like long relationship together, like got the guy in the corner. I think it was like the sixth round or something out of eight. They were about to head into seven. Uh, and the fighter was basically like, I can't keep my mouthpiece in. My mouthpiece keeps falling out. And the guy immediately was like, all right, we're done. Like turned around immediately, stop the fight. No questions asked. And then they played this on the trainer tracks, the, uh, the recurring segment there on the Showtime pay-per-view where after the fight is over, they play you some corner audio, but it's like, basically the guy leans in to his fighter and he says, we got our whole lives ahead of us. Like, we, uh, I want you to like have enjoy your life. Like I don't want you to do anything dangerous out here. Which is just like, wow, dude. Like that is a different point of view 
than what we see in mixed martial arts, where I believe, as I commented you at the time, if it was MMA, they would have put some rubber cement in that guy's mouthpiece, stuck it in his <laughs> teeth, and they were like, we need this 5000 bucks, dude. Let's get out there and get it. So this is a very different attitude. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll talk more about Arnold Allen later this week over on the uh, Patreon page, since I think he probably warrants some discussion here, too. Uh, but as for right now we're kind of running long on time so we're just gonna go ahead and move on to round number three Well, Ben, as I commented at the top of the show, and as longtime listeners of this program will well know, it has been a long damn time since we thought, saw Jonathan Dwight Jones compete in a mixed martial arts cage. Dominic Reyes at UFC 247 in February of 2020 was the last time we saw John Jones compete. He has since been on this odyssey, first a what appeared to be protracted contract dispute with the UFC and and kind of as that was ongoing this insistence that he was going to move up to heavyweight we didn't know quite what to think it has been ages since we saw any actual forward motion towards getting the guy a fight and now suddenly that we're talking about Stipe Miocic at the end of the year pay-per-view uh everyone's talking like this should be a done deal and like what it's it's already on the books and we just need to hear from Stipe John Jones is tweeting about it a, a bunch I guess I shouldn't be surprised because as I said before again this is some MMA ass shit but it feels like this thing went from zero to 100 miles an hour super fast after a long period of hearing absolutely nothing at all yeah it did seem like we really took our sweet time working our way here and then suddenly we got to book something quick. We got to get it done. Got to get the stuff on paper. It also, it's weird to me sometimes because since MMA doesn't have any of this natural sort of built-in flow to a season or anything that you can think of, sometimes it seems like we arbitrarily impose that on it, like trying to get something within the calendar year or something. And MMA is just sort of ongoing. So, it really probably doesn't make that much of a difference if you fought in December of 2022 or if you fought in January of 2023. But it does seem like we're suddenly getting this urgency when I, it's hard for me to tell exactly what might be behind that. Because like we did there's a real slow build yeah. to get here. You think he checked his bank account balance? You think that's what maybe might be behind it? Or he got one of those automated alerts? Like, John, you've got 100 bucks in your account. But don't yeah. overdraw yourself. And now suddenly he's like, Stipe, what's up? Let's, uh, <laughs> let's sign on the line that is dotted. I mean, it's been a lot. It's like we talked about with TV, TJ Dillashaw last week. I don't care who you are, man. That's a long time not to get paid. If you're not fighting since February of 2020. So maybe there is some financial urgency there for John Jones. I, I, I don't know otherwise, like, why it suddenly becomes such a, a, a uh, an urgent thing, despite the fact that, you know, maybe you feel like you're 35 years old, you moved up to heavyweight, you've done all this work. You can only hit pads in Brandon Gibson's garage for so long Yeah. before you're going to want, you know, Stipe Miocic to step in there with you. Yeah, maybe he signed up for Mint and uh, got one of those emails <laughs> where they're like, we've noticed your, your checking account is getting low. And he went, uh-oh. I would think, honestly, the some of the urgency should be on Stipe's side. 
if he's going to make something like this happen. Because you say John Jones, in, you know, mid-30s. Stipe is uh, getting into his 40s now. If I'm going to fight John Jones, I don't want to have to fuck around and do it when I'm 42 or something, you know? I, I'd rather do it sooner rather than later. It also seems like Stipe is sort of transitioning more into the life that he, life and career that he intends to have after fighting is over yeah. for him. That's what I was just going to say. You know who it seems like ain't sweating it? Stipe Miocic. Last time I saw him, it was a picture on his Twitter of uh, Stipe and his wife standing outside a roadside bodega uh, somewhere internationally. Not in the country, not training hard. <laughs> like, he's on vacation the last I saw him. So you're right. It does kind of seem... Like Stipe Miocic has segued to, uh, uh, you know, his, his next career, like focusing on firefighting and, and whatever else he may have lined up. And I haven't heard a peep from him at all. I don't know well, if he has answered this or, or what he has said, but he seems like he is not feeling that same urgency for whatever reason. Well, and you can imagine, uh, especially you've been hanging around, you... He hasn't always felt super respected by the UFC. Remember how hard he had to lobby to even get a rematch with Daniel Cormier. Remember the look on his face after he got knocked out in that first fight by Daniel Cormier. And then he's sort of on the stool in the background. And it's like, he looks up and Brock Lesnar's in the cage already uh, working a bit with Daniel Cormier shoving him. And we're, we're trying to get something going. And he's looking around like, Oh, holy shit. You guys, I, I held the record for the most consecutive heavyweight title defenses here. And you guys are kind of acting like I just not even here. And I, I know he had some feelings about that with the UFC over the years, remember when he didn't want Dana White to put the belt on him, shit like that. And so now they're going to come around and be like, hey, we're trying to get this shit put together with John Jones real quick. And if you haven't been training super hard, you might be inclined to be like, whoa, you're, you're not going to pressure me into at this stage of my life and career into taking a to rushing into a fight with John Jones unprepared. Like, no, no, sir, not John Jones. Not not this guy, not not at this age. Like he's, He doesn't need that quite as much. Last several tweets from Stipe Miocic, in case you're interested. Uh, series of pictures of him with his kids at the zoo. Nice. Series of pictures of him making a personal appearance for Romeo's Pizza. Cool. Uh, pictures of him teaching his kids to play golf. Picture of Stipe and his wife. This is the one I was talking about. Standing outside of a place called Meanie's Mini Donuts. While on vacation, then some more tweets for personal appearances and his most recent tweet, get my NFT, basically. So, you know. Oh, we're still doing that? We're still getting NFTs? Come on, bro. Not exactly a situation where he can't keep John Jones's name out of his mouth, I would say. <laughs> Seems like he's focused in other areas of his life, which if you're Steve Miocic, God bless you, man. Let's yeah. See. Don't come back here and fight John Jones in the UFC unless you really, really want to do it and they're going to pay you a lot of money. Well, the other thing is the specter of Francis Ngannou looming over all this, right? Because from what I've heard, like Ariel Helwani say, basically, is that uh, he said Ngannou is not with creative artists anymore. So that might make it a little easier to maybe reconcile him with the UFC and see if you could sign him back. Also, it seems like Tyson Fury is not really talking about that fight anymore. Maybe Dante Wilder is, and you could make a lot of money in boxing, but you know, maybe your options don't seem quite as rosy there as they did a year ago. And now if the UFC can make a deal with Francis Ngannou and get him back in the fold. And at that point, why not wait a few more months to where his knee is better, where 
you know, he's from what everybody is saying, thinking something like March, March or April, then maybe his knee would be good. And he could think about a fight. Then that'd be a huge, huge fight. Still Francis and versus John Jones for the goddamn heavyweight title. If there's even a chance that you could make that fight, wait a couple more months and make that fight. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we have seen from the UFC in, in recent times. And in fact, Potentially one of the things that soured its relationship with Francis Ngannou to begin with. You get the impression it was a lot of little things over time that had kind of uh, made Francis feel like perhaps he was done with the UFC. But, uh, you know, that interim title, he asked for a couple of additional months uh, to, to get ready. And they said, no, we have to do this fight. What was it in Houston? Right. Because we got the date booked. And so we're going to do an interim title. And by the way, we'll cut some video promos that make you seem like. Uh, you were out living some kind of Playboy lifestyle on vacation instead yeah. of being in Cameroon uh, doing community work like he actually was. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, again, maybe this is just the theme of this week, but I feel like it would be some truly MMA ass shit if Francis Ngannou did this long holdout talking about how he was going to go make so much money in boxing and how boxing was a definite thing that had to be in his contract for him to just turn around and come back to the UFC would be it would be the most UFC outcome that I could possibly think of, uh, especially if the uh, Francis Ngannou management team is no longer in the picture anymore, which, of course, is frequently the UFC's aim in these situations, especially when there is a manager that seems like they want to get the most for their client. Now, I don't yeah. know. We don't I don't really have any details about the CAA thing. I don't know if Markel Martin is still Francis's guy and maybe he's not with CAA anymore or if we've had a split and we're doing a different thing. I just don't know. But uh yeah, it would seem like we made a lot of I guess Francis had to be out with the with the knee injury anyway, but it seems like we would have made a lot of uh noise for very little actual movement if the guy just comes back. But at the same time, as you said, Francis Ngannou against John Jones for the heavyweight title might be the biggest fight in UFC history, and there would certainly be enough money to go around if yep. they had that, if they were going to make can, that fight. We could all take care of our checking accounts on that one. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, don't think that you're going to have an Anderson Silva versus Jake Paul pay-per-view event. And Chris Cyborg is not going to show up at that shit with a belt that she clearly made for herself, proclaiming her the Grand Slam champion as she was the uh, champion in Strike Force, Invicta, the UFC, and Bellator. And don't think she's not going to show up with a homemade t shirt advertising her next fight against Kat Zingano at Bellator. And don't think that she's not going to be on camera every 15 minutes holding up said t shirt. Showing up at the broadcast booth with the homemade belt to do a little bit of analysis on what's going to happen in Anderson Silva versus Jake Paul. I am once again reminded, as I am many times when I open up my email and I've got an email from Chris Cyborg telling me what she's doing this week. I am yet again reminded, and I am just saying this week, Chris Cyborg's out here promoting Bellator more than Bellator is promoting Bellator. I'm just saying. Just saying. She's working hard. She's working overtime out there. I appreciate it. Uh, Chad, I'm just saying. Did you know Jake Paul ha- claims that he is banned from UFC events? He was. This is him when he's talking with uh, Israel Adesanya on his podcast. Uh, this is, I think, from the same interview where you mentioned that uh, Israel Adesanya was very complimentary of Jake Paul on when appearing on Jake Paul's podcast and that maybe he would have had different things to say if he'd gone on. 
Anderson Silva's podcast, which to my knowledge does not exist. But here's a quote from Jake Paul. This is uh, via Ryan Harkness's story on BJPen.com. Oh, fuck. I'm banned from UFC events, Paul said. Dana banned me. Dana banned me after they all were yelling, fuck Jake Paul in the stadium. Then I tried to go to a different fight and all our tickets were declined, banned. Then his assistant was like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Like, escorted me out of the event. And then Dana White's son, apparently. I didn't know who it was at the time. I was, he was like, I fucking hate you, Paul continued. He was like drunk off some shit, wearing some suit. And he was like, fuck you. He was using racial slurs against me. And yeah, that was the last event, so I forgot I can't come. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, I feel like I need more specifics on the racial slurs that Dana White's son might have shouted at Jake Paul. Like, because wh- honestly, I'm I'm kind of baffled right now just hearing that. I'm trying to even just picture which racial slurs and how would he use them. I'm coming up empty. Yeah. I'm just saying, say more. I feel like I need to know more about everything involved in this situation. Right? He also insists that he is going to find a way to sneak back into a UFC event, even if he has to wear his fat suit, which, as we saw, of course, Jake Paul now has a fat suit that has Jake Paul tattoos on it, but uh, might have to go with a little bit more of a disguise than that. But, uh, you know what? You ban that guy, that that sort of modern prankster from your event. You are asking him to just go all the way with a disguise and, and, and make you look silly later on. I'm just saying. Just saying. Wow, that is interesting. I do want to know more about that. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Uh, of course, we will be busy all week at the Patreon page. If you guys want to catch up with us there, you absolutely can. Uh head on over to patreon.com slash co-main event and check us out. Uh, For those of you who are $20 patrons, of course, the show rolls on now with After Hours. For the rest of you, we'll see you this week or we'll talk to you next week on The Proper. Thanks for listening, everybody. As of now, we are done. We are through. We are out. So as I mentioned, one of the things that was interesting about this Anderson Silva, Jake Paul pay-per-view, Ben, was exactly how much of our time they found to waste. Yeah. Particularly in between the co-main event, which ended with a first-round knockout, and the actual main event, which started, I don't know, 40 minutes later or something like that, uh, where the pay-per-view continually cut back and forth between... Mauro Ranala and Al Bernstein at, at ringside and the guys on the desk, one of whom was George St. Pierre. And it seemed like one theme of this broadcast all night was to sort of imply to George St. Pierre that he should consider consider returning to fighting and also to ask him over and over again, hey, George, how come you and Anderson never fought each other? I feel like they asked him that question like four times. And at the end of it, yeah. he was just kind of like, well, you know, I already said why a bunch of times. So <laughs> I don't know why you keep asking me. Well, the reason they keep asking you is because they're trying to fill time. Uh, and I heard people saying that it's because they were hoping the Lomachenko fight would finish up.